Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today's guest is very special to me. I've known her for years. Her name is Trudy Avery. I've known her through her business context as the development officer for the Pavilion, a nonprofit substance use treatment program in North Carolina, as she oversees its fundraising and alumni programs. But how I am talking to Trudy today is not on a professional level. It is really on her personal story of recovery. She is, as she describes herself, a very grateful mother of a son in long-term recovery. And her passion in her work is fueled by this personal story and her personal advocacy work throughout her career. So welcome, Trudy. It's great to have you. Thank you so much, Diana. It's, we've known one another for quite a few years, so I feel like we're just having a lunch conversation today. Absolutely. So let's start from the beginning. Let's talk. Your son's name is Corey. Let's talk Correct. about Corey. Yeah. Sure. Um, well, first I can introduce myself. I actually am the mother of four sons. Uh, Corey mm. is my third son. I do come from a background of substance use. I grew up in a uh, family with um, three older siblings in long-term recovery. My dad struggled with alcohol um, throughout his life. And my dad's brother, my uncle, actually died homeless in the Bowery in New York City. So I grew up in that household of a little bit of chaos, but at the same time, a whole lot of love. As I got older and um, started having my own family, um, my oldest sister, Lori, had said to me at the time, Trudy, uh, whenever you have children, it's not a matter of if, but it's actually a matter of when, because percentage-wise, genetically, um, it's bound to carry on in the next generation. So I describe myself as that educated parent, um, having experienced it in my own life, um, actually plan to start talking to any future children from the moment they were born. Um, however, my message to my children was, please don't drink because we are predispositioned uh, to it. But never in my realm of thinking did I ever think I'd have to give the message, please don't shoot heroin. And that became my living world down the road with Corey. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Diana, uh, I am that very grateful parent. Uh, Corey is coming up on seven years of living a life of recovery, and he is the fuel behind the work that I continue to do. Um, I live in Massachusetts and work for Pavilion, as you said, based in North Carolina. So I have a very long commute. I work remotely, um, but come down to campus usually once every six weeks for about a week at a time. And I am actually taping from my office in North Carolina today. So well, as thank you, mentioned, you for taking time out of your work day to do this with me. Uh, I do I anything for you. you. 
Uh, thank you. I know you went through multiple treatments. Your son was not the go to rehab for 28 days and is done with treatment. That isn't how your story played out. It isn't how most stories that I know of play out. But tell me, of the let's discuss what your treatment journey was, because I think people really need to be aware that there are all kinds of treatment and that the journey can sometimes be a lot longer than you anticipated. It was a very difficult journey, but at the same time, um, Corey actually was always willing to seek help, which um, is pretty unusual, especially in his younger years. He started struggling at the age of 14. Um, he followed the path very similar to other families, other patients, um, insurance driven, unfortunately. Um, and his first experience with treatment was detox only, followed by three weeks of intensive outpatient, which as we all know, um, both from a personal experience as well as working in the industry, that is not the answer. Um, most individuals need long-term, lifelong help. Um, but again, we were guided by um, our insurance policy. And I tell the story that we had a very, very good policy through my husband's employer, but I was always fighting them every step of the way. Um, Corey actually, uh, we sent him um, to a facility in Florida uh, at the age of 21. Um, it was the sister property to a facility that my sister Kathy worked um, in New York. And um, he had, Corey actually stayed sober for uh, three and a half years after that first treatment program. But as he describes today, um, he was sober, but he was not in recovery. And so he ended up relapsing after that three and a half year time period and then went through a multitude of treatment programs. But actually he put himself in those programs. We didn't, you know, search for help. Um, he was an adult at that point, still under our insurance. Along the way, however, Blue Cross fought me every single step of the way, and I ended up suing them um, about 12 years ago, um, and it was a very long process. And so I always say to families um, that when they are seeking help for their family members, um, to never accept the word no from their insurance company. It's always important to um, keep pushing back as much as your energy will allow. I think the biggest hurdle um, that I faced at that time was that my energy uh, was focused on keeping Corey alive, and that didn't mm -hmm. leave much of anything else to even think about uh, fighting an insurance company. So, yeah, it was a very long struggle. What was the moment, I've heard you talk before, when you say, I can't do this anymore? What was your moment? Again, having grown up in a family with the disease, I was a little more aware of what my limitations would be. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to um, not have to struggle with the disease personally. I remember having a conversation with one of my sisters. I'm, I am the youngest of four. And I said to my sister one day, 
you know, I'm so glad I'm the youngest because I watched my three older siblings fall like dominoes. And I think I made the decision at the age of five that I would not allow it to happen to me. And I'll never forget my sister's words. She said to me, Trudy, if you had the markers that we did, you would not have been able to make that decision. So um, I, again, set my limitations as to uh, what I would be able to take from Corey and what I wouldn't, you know, would be able to. Uh, my husband does not come from a background of substance use, so he didn't have as strong of an understanding of what our family was facing. And the way I describe our relationship, uh, we've been married a long time. Um, when we were facing Corey's active struggles, we were on airplanes, but we were always on different airplanes. And I describe it, and I'll use my hands, we were here. And then we were here, but we were never here. And mm -hmm. so that is part of the family programming that we worked on for many years. But it was one day where I reached my limitations. And I actually said to my husband, I can't do this anymore. And not that he um, was angry, but it was more uh, the culmination of his years of pain. And he stated to me that he felt that that statement was very selfish, that at a time where our son desperately needed us, I was thinking of myself. And I took a step back when he said that, and I looked him right in the eye and I said, all right, let me change my semantics. I won't do this anymore. And that really was the point where everything changed in our family dynamic. We did when ask you say, I want to interrupt for one minute. When you say, sure. I won't do this, what was the this you were talking about? Giving him a roof, providing him with sus sustenance. And Corey has talked about this to this day. Um, you know, he's a 35-year-old man now, again, living a, a truly a miraculous life of recovery, a day at a time. But he has always said to us, as long as you continue to provide me a bed and food and a roof over my head, I had no reason to get well. Mm. That's powerful. And, and that is powerful. Word, his words stayed with me where I chose to not do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I told Corey, and I actually spoke to him in the third person, and I said, I want Corey to realize that I will always love him, but I also dislike the drugs, and I can't allow the usage to continue under my roof. And if that continues to happen, I will need to ask Corey to leave. And it actually was the toughest decision of my life. Even I can say this all these years later to this day, because our outcomes could have been very different. And when I talk to other parents about making that really tough decision, some of the feedback that I receive is that, well, your outcome could have been different. He could have, you know, died on the streets. And I said, yes. However, he also 
could have died on my living room couch. Hundred percent. And that is not something that I could live with mm-hmm. by enabling him. Mm-hmm. I understand how you did it. You were protecting him in your mind from what would have been a worse fate. But ultimately, when we protect the wrong thing, we're really protecting the disorder from treatment or from care, right? And sometimes, Diana, I think about, yes, I did it for him. I did it for our family. But at the same time, at that moment, I did it out of desperation. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't think our best when we're desperate. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. So I wouldn't consider that the hardest decision, probably, or maybe that was the hardest decision you've ever made, but it certainly was brave. It is a brave decision to go against every fiber of your being that wants to hold a struggling kid close and say, these are your woods if you do not stop. Right. And when you just reference the word fiber, um, I attend a lot of open AA meetings with my sisters when I'm back home in New York. And um, when I'm at a meeting, I self-identify if I'm ready to speak up. And I introduce myself by saying, you know, I am not an addict or an alcoholic. However, I'm the granddaughter, the daughter, the sibling, the niece, cousin, aunt, and now mother of the disease. And at the end of the day, years ago, if I needed to feel like I had to protect myself, I could choose to walk away from the roles of granddaughter, daughter, sibling, cousin, niece, and aunt. How do we walk away from the role of being a parent? And this particular disease doesn't force us, but sometimes parents think it forces us to make a choice that goes against every instinctual grain in our body that we think we are as parents. You're absolutely right. One, another brave story I've heard about addiction was a mom whose son had overdosed in her home on Christmas one year, and he was saved. They had Narcan in the home. And she said to him, you know, until you get into some form of active recovery, you're not welcome in our home, and I can't have holidays with you in our home. And when the next Christmas came around and he asked her what time dinner was, she said, you're not in active recovery. You can't come home. I'll meet you with food. I'll meet you with presents, but you can't come home. I can't have you do this to Christmas again. Right. And that was his last Christmas. That's what it took for him to get, to get, a moment of clarity and begin his recovery journey. That's what it took. Right. You know, I think it's um, harder, um, and you and I have had this conversation in the past, so for families um, that have access to resources, higher wealth than, say, another Mm -hmm. family. Not that it's easier. The statistics bear it out that it is harder. So why do you think that is? If you have endless resources to be able to employ in this regard, 
why does that make it harder instead of better? Well, because the parents have access to those resources and while they're struggling with their own family recovery, sometimes feel that they can help by using those resources to deal with issues, legal issues, um, again, providing a roof, paying the car payments, paying the car insurance, um, and mm. thinking that they are actually helping when most times it's not help. Um, it's just extending the struggles on a daily basis, as my son said, as long as we pro were providing him everything, he had no reason to get well. Got it. Keep hearing those words. Keep mm -hmm. hearing those words. That's right. Yeah. And I so, can give a perf perfect story, actually, when Corey was missed. actually in his, um, his first year of recovery uh, th this time around, he reached out to me one day and um, said to me, could he borrow some money to put as a down payment on a car? Um, and he was living in Florida. He was using public transportation to get to work every day. As I just mentioned, he um, had reached a year of recovery. And when he called me with that question, I started second guessing myself as to what my answer would be because I thought, okay, if I say no, he's doing so well um, that maybe it's showing him that I still don't trust him or, you know, I'm just saying no, where I might say yes to his brothers, which I actually probably would have say, said no as well. However, I said to him, Corey, let me give you a call back later this afternoon because I really need to think about this. Bravo. And I, and I did. I actually um, took about four or five hours, started thinking about it, and I called him back. And even before I had the chance to tell him what my response would be, Corey said to me, Mom, don't worry about it. I've thought about it, and I know what your answer is going to be. And so I don't want the money because I'm going to try and save a little bit more until I can um, afford to put a down payment on a used car. And I said, good, Corey, because my answer was going to be no. And I told him it wasn't for the reason that I didn't trust him any longer. The real reason why I came to that conclusion of telling him the word no was because that question, he was asking me to go outside my own parameters of my own family work that I had been doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't comfortable and you needed to say no. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. So let's back up to the insurance industry. What kinds of changes would you like to see? in the industry actually, change in insurance, yeah. So uh, there has been gradual changes over the years, but not enough. As we all know, short-term treatment um, is not enough. Um, and if insurers were to look at the costs that they have been covering over the years, the short, they end up spending more in the long run because of the, you know paying for a multitude of treatments. Um, what I fought for when I had my lawsuit back in 2009 was not a monetary award, 
but allowing um, the state to tell the insurance companies, I live in Massachusetts, that they would be required to pay for ex more extended treatment. Um, and that families should be entitled to what their insurance contracts state. How insurers get around all of that is, of course, using the term uh, what's medically, what's deemed medically necessary. And so when I'm speaking or testifying, I've testified at the state house, at uh, local um, communities. Um, I will let our senators and legislators know that I, number one, appreciate all of their hard work. I never want to go in as um, an angry mom and speak with anger because anger sometimes is, you know, not used wisely. But when anger is used wisely, it can be beneficial. And so I will always preface and say thank you for all the hard work. But at the same time, I need to let um, our politicians know that they can put whatever le legislation they like on the books. But until they take the, the power of the decision making out of the insurer's hands, nothing's really going to change because they will get around the legislation by the need of medical necessity. That's really powerful to know. Yeah. We mm -hmm. think that when parity laws and things like that are enacted, that the answer has arrived, but it hasn't because the performance doesn't necessarily match what the law allows. And the parity laws, when you think about it, it sounds wonderful on paper, but in reality, it doesn't work. Um, one of my sisters has had five joint replacements. Um, she was in a severe car accident when she was younger. So she had her first joint replacement done at the age of 40. And with that first joint replacement, she was in the hospital for uh, 10 days. When she had her last joint replacement several years ago, she was out the next day. And so she talks about that and says, well, if they compare mental health parity to other diseases, you're still going to get kicked out early. <laughs> That's right. That's a good point. <laughs> Is there any last point you would like to make as we wrap up today, Trudy? You've been an amazing I, guest. I just feel so grateful, so grateful that Corey's disease has put me on a page where I can continue to help others. I never tell other families what to do. I just like telling my story, my experiences, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, each family does have to make their own choices. And some of the choices that we made as a family are difficult for others. Um, Corey continues to thank us, but I'm just so grateful for his struggles to see what an incredible human being he has become. And his struggles has allowed me to do the amazing work um, here at Pavilion today, to have the opportunity to meet other families that I have walked in their shoes. It's just such an incredible feeling and so powerful. And I'm just, feeling so blessed to have had the experience of meeting folks that I probably would have never met if I walked in someone else's shoes and didn't have our family's experiences. 
That's beautiful. Thank you, Trudy. And for our listeners today, if you've liked this episode, please like us on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.